This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. I took a nap, by the way, right before you got here. So yeah. I'm a little bit. Yeah, I tried to fall asleep. I, I did for a minute, and then all of a sudden, d- front door open. Dogs <laughs> barking. Oh no, Ryan here. Oh no, my bad. No, well, I needed to wake up. <laughs> you said come at four, and I came at four. Thank God you didn't come at three. I know. Actually, I would have rather come at three. Coming at four, there's a lot of traffic oh, coming great. up this direction. Now I feel bad. Makes God makes me feel guilty. Uh, thanks for listening. The last couple of weeks have been really great. We had Eric McCormick and Stephen Weber on the podcast last week, the week before James Gunn, which exploded. And, uh, it, it was good to see. It's good to see when the podcast gets there. I gets out there. I've been getting a lot of calls. And, uh, for those of you who haven't listened to the podcast and are here for Andrew McCarthy, stay tuned, but just a few words. We don't, we don't talk forever. These are, these are short intros, but, um, you know, I'm very grateful if you, if you like the podcast, by the way, the podcast, um, subscribe, write a review. It, it truly helps the podcast and, uh, you know, tell someone, say, Hey, I heard this podcast. It's, uh, you know, it's decent. And, uh, you know, I try to bring out a lot out of each, each guest, whether you know them or you don't know them. And, uh, this episode with Andrew McCarthy, we talk about walking with Sam's new book. And, uh, I found it fascinating, uh, you know, a father and a son walking across Scotland or whatever, and really getting personal and in depth, uh, just into their lives and, you know, whatever. And, uh, it got real. It's, it's going to get real when you're doing something like that. So, and, uh, you know, I was always a fan of Andrew McCarthy and I, I also found out he's not that much older than I am. I always felt like these guys, you know, when I was younger were, uh, oh my gosh, you know, he's pretty in pink and he's not that much older than me, which, you know, time's weird, man. What I'm saying, Andrew, is you're not old. <laughs> Um, hey, if you want to follow us, Ryan, tell them the handles at inside of you pod on Twitter, at inside of you podcast on Instagram and Facebook. I haven't said that in a while. I know. And uh, Tom Welling and I will, and Kristen Crook, the threesome of Smallville, will be in Montreal, Montreal, July 15th weekend. We're doing a Smallville nights, we're signing autographs, pictures, all that's going to be a blast. My grandmother just had her 95th birthday. And I went down there and I organized the whole thing because I'm a control freak. And, uh, you know, it was a nice time. There were some, you know, some things that weren't as smooth. Mm -hmm. I won't get into those. But, uh, you know, it made me sad that she doesn't, she's 95. Of course, her memory is not going to be great. But I didn't realize it would go that fast. Mm -hmm. And in the last three to six months, I showed her a video of the trip after, you know, um, after her big birthday night and uh brought her to tears but then the next morning when i said did you love the video she didn't know what i was talking about and i showed her again like she had seen it the first time so it's pretty bad Mm -hmm. and so i told my uncle do me a favor on her refrigerator just put call mikey with a picture of me and my phone number your grandson and uh he wouldn't put your favorite grandson because his two kids would be upset with that but he did put your grandson so i got a call from her today so i think maybe it works keep that you know 
It's on her fridge. She's going to the fridge. That's good. You know what else? My my um cousin sent me a picture of the inside of her uh, refrigerator, mm-hmm. and it had like insure. You know, for mm-hmm. the old people drink. Mm-hmm. I think other people take that too. Mm-hmm. But it had a glass of wine covered up with plastic <laughs> like saran wrap or whatever and it was like she drinks the cheapest shittiest freaking wine and she's preserving it she just like want, a little bit at a time she though. doesn't want to waste it oh god so anyway um so what else uh the band we just had a concert uh sunspin we're going to be playing those monthly, so go to stageit.com or go to sunspin.com, get a ticket. We have Zooms, other stuff. You could also get a Zoom with me and Rob, uh, my guitarist, and chat with us. Uh, the Inside You online store has a lot of cool stuff. Uh, this guy, Santiago, where in the hell is uh, Santiago M? No, Something. Carmen Santiago. Well, I know that. That's what I was asking you for. But then was the second I said it, I realized that the Santiago is not where the San Diego is. Mm. And it was wrong. Yeah. And I regret it now. Yeah, you ruined it. You ruined the moment. Damn. Uh, Anyway, uh, these little busts, the Smallville busts, they're bad ass. He made boxes for them. Get them. There's only four available. So if you want those, there's also Lex Luthor statues, uh, Funkos, and tons of stuff. I want to thank the Funko store. I went to the Funko store in Hollywood. I did an interview, which is coming out soon. And I brought a couple friends and they let us shop and get as many Funkos as we wanted. Funko that shit, man. <laughs> it was awesome. I love Funko. Thank you to everyone there. Tracy, thanks for hooking it all up. And uh, I got a lot of cool stuff. If you haven't been, go to the Funko store in Hollywood Boulevard. It will blow your mind. It's like Disney World. I didn't know there was one. It's Dude, you'll, it will blow your mind. I'll take you. Want to go? Sure. It's great. Um, so thanks there. Um, and a few thank yous to uh, the uh, nonprofits that I work with. Foodonfoot.org for homeless. Uh, Echoes of Hope for foster youth. The Ronald McDonald House. Uh, the Animal Rescue Mission. If you want to rescue animals, get a hold of the Animal Rescue Mission on Instagram or whatever. Ask for Shira. Say I sent you. And uh, all that jazz. And thanks for listening to Talkville. We're going to be coming back soon with new episodes. Season three. Very exciting, Ryan. It's going to be a a good season. So, And thanks thanks mostly to the patrons who support these podcasts. Because I could not do these podcasts without you. Um, Thanks for the support and the love. And uh, check out patreon.com slash inside of you or slash Talkville and become a patron member today. All right. Without further ado, let's... uh, Let's get into this. Let's get uh, so much to talk about with Andrew McCarthy. It was it was a lot of fun, and uh, you know we get into it. So let's get inside of Andrew McCarthy. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Great setup. Thanks. I noticed you were looking at it. Now, is that sarca- yeah. sarcasm? No. Because no, I, it's great. Are you? What are you into? What do you mean? I mean, you're obviously into travel. You're obviously into writing and directing and all these other things and acting. But like, do you have any like, do you keep things? You no. keep posters? No. I was actually more talking about your technical setup, not not your, your <laughs> not your gap. Not my freak show? No, not your freak show. That that I didn't even really notice. No, I was looking more the technical setup. I thought it was good. <laughs> yeah, I had somebody come and set this up and I'm always scared that the uh 
the camera's gonna just go and i'm like oh shit what camera do i got okay the lumix i gotta order this and we gotta hook it up i shouldn't worry about that should i ryan okay thank you um well you got so much going on first of all your your agent or your publicist sent me that the book is now your new book is on the new york times bestseller list and this just happened yeah yesterday yeah so that's walking with sam yeah and that's always a relief. What do you mean it's always a relief? <laughs> so you've had other books, the memoirs, the brat was also bestseller. Yeah, yeah. So which is great. No, no, it's it's thrilling because it's like it is the only way that you know the broad way that people keep score. If you you know if you can claim uh, hey, it's a New York Times bestseller, then you can claim success. Oh, oh it's real. <laughs> yeah, it's like my dad. It's like is it? It's an independent movie. Oh, so it's not a real movie. Yeah, no. And it's also when you've been out there shamelessly promoting it, like I have. If it doesn't do something, you kind of go, oh, you've been really selling there and they weren't buying huh so anyway it's it's a it's wonderful and exciting and a relief my biggest fear is you know some people said write a book and i'm like no one cares about me i mean my listeners may be like what i taught but like okay so how many people buy my book because i have a, i have some great i mean great stories starting from childhood to craziness to try you know getting to hollywood and getting mixed up with the wrong crowd and all that stuff in between living with Carrie Fisher, it would be a chapter and not sexually. Um, but I don't think my fear is like, you've been, you've been there. You are like, I mean, for God's sake, the, oh, the, the, there are the headphones there that you don't want to wear. All right. But like, you know, you've done so much. People know who you are. They, well, they think they do anyway. Yeah. Which is good, you know, that has its pluses and minuses, yeah. I mean, I get on the, t the Today Show or whatever, or the Good Morning America to talk about my new book because I was in movies 30 years ago. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So I have that sort of platform, if you will. So I, you know, I've become this sort of cultural, you know, touchstone for a generation of people. But normally, like, when someone comes on the, on the podcast, they want to promote something, I'm like, it's not that I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, all right, you know. I'm, I'm like, all right, we'll talk about it. But that's not really what the podcast is about. But this, your book is what the podcast is. Because Walking with Sam is sort of like a journey with your son, right? Yeah. Across a country, 500 miles. Yeah. And like when I hear that you open up about your life to your son, it's just so foreign to me and so so beautiful that – you know, I didn't know anything about my father. In fact, I remember calling him up one time and he wasn't the kind of guy. I'm sure you're, were you very close? You're very close with your son where you're like, I love you, son. I'm proud of you. That kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're hesitant. <laughs> no, but I mean, sure. I hope I don't say that. that yes, I, I am. Yeah. yeah. But go on. Finish. No, but I just think that I remember I was 20 something, early 20s. And I, I was just like, he always i never smoked and never drank and never did drugs it was always very very critical very hard on me and i went to his dentist and i shouldn't have gone to his dentist because it was this guy out in long island it was lawrence lawrence olivier <laughs> no <laughs> why what was that about no well in marathon man he's ah! the dentist you know anyway yes 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 i remember i remember the dustin hoffman is it thing. safe <laughs> yes is it safe <laughs> you yeah. do a lot of impressions no that was it that's it. That's it, yeah. But I went out to his dentist, and he was a good dentist, but his dent dental place was in his house in Long Island, so it was called Fight Tooth Decay with Dr. J. And I went in there, and he was this kind <laughs> Dude, of- Dude, what were you thinking? That should have been your first clue. I, I had no money, and this guy was going to take care of me. And uh, I was like, what was my dad like? Oh, your dad, fuck, your dad was- 
he was, you know, I go, did he ever do drugs? Did he do drugs? I think he invented Coke. I think he, and all this stuff came out. And women. And I'm like, what? Whoa, whoa. And I call my dad. I go, I don't, I don't fucking know you. You've lied to me all these years. She's like, it's like, I, what do you want to hear? Is this what you, what do you want to know? I'll tell you what you want. And I go, do you do drugs? Yeah, I did a lot of drugs. It got to that point where like, yeah, did you have sex with other girls and mom? He's what are you fucking kidding? Of course. Yes. I'm like, okay. And I just started hammering with these questions and he answered them, but I didn't, I still to this day, I don't know my real father. I mean, I know my, my biological father. Got it, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? My dad's just very, um, uh, it, maybe it's just old school. It's old school where he doesn't want me to get inside, but I, I get inside, but I'd like to know more about my father. I'd like to know the real story and the things that he went through. Why? And, and because I, when I looked at what your book's about, it made me think, you know, wow, his son, Sam, right? Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> unless you're walking with somebody else and Sam, that he's really getting to know his dad and really seeing the things that hurt him and the mistakes he made. And like, it seems like it was such an honest journey. Just tell me about that. Well, you're talking about your dad. You know, when I left home at 17 and my relationship in essence ended with my dad right then, you know, my dad was a very volatile guy and we were, I was terrified of him. So I left home and we had no real relationship through the rest of his life. I mean, he died, I guess, just like six or seven years ago. And I mean, I saw him probably a dozen times in all those years. And my dad, when I was young and successful, my dad, uh, when I was in the first in the movies, you know, my fortunes were rising as my dad's fortunes were falling emotionally and financially. And so he, my dad used to come to me for money, which I found that really t twisted me up because I gave it to him. You know, my, when my dad first, you know, go, if I don't get, you know, 50K, I'm going to jump off a roof. I'm like, okay, here's 50K, you know what I mean? Until finally that went on for a number of years. And then I finally, you know, he said, I'm going to jump off a bridge if I don't get whatever. And I said, well, you know what? You're just like a heroin junkie and I'm not giving any more heroin to jump off the bridge. And that pretty much ended our relationship. And for decades, really. And I think he regretted that later. But um, I just, it, it really... That was difficult because what when I needed when I was a young kid and being successful in that way that I was when I was in these movies when I was young in my early twenties I would have you know welcomed some kind of backup and I didn't I felt like I was being undercut as opposed to being backed up you know or supported so Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money I love Rocket Money you know why because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. Found, I got rocket money. Okay, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming uh, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services, 
it's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I don't like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. Anyway, I went to, when my dad was dying, I went to, uh, my wife said to her credit, she goes, you need to go see your dad. I was like, oh. You're right. And so I went to my dad as, you know, and as he was dying and we didn't really, you know, we didn't solve anything, but we just dropped it. I dropped it, you know, and I was able to be there with him when he was dying. And that was a, um, a beautiful thing. And I, you know, I, there was love there that remained that hadn't, I hadn't felt. And, you know, I, all I'd felt was fear and then anger and resentment at him for undermining, not seeing me, you know, and, so anyway, so when you talk about your dad like that, uh, I didn't know really anything about the one story I heard about my dad once when his mom was uh, put into an old, you know, a, a home. Convalescent or? or yeah, yeah, that kind of, you know, for an old person. And he went and he kind of kidnapped her because he was so upset by her being locked up. So he went and he kidnapped her for a day. He didn't know, he didn't have any plan. He just needed to, felt some need to act or like, yeah. you know what I mean? So he just took her and he went to a motel and they were staying there and his older brother, and my dad's at this point in his, I don't know, 60s or something, 50s. And his older brother came and said, we had this fight with my, my older brother was there to see this. And 
his older brother, they stood in the parking lot arguing, these two brothers, two grown men. And my dad's older brother slapped him upside the head like you would a young sibling when you're kids. And I knew in that instant, my brother told me that story. I was like, oh, I I instantly forgave my dad so much because that's where he came from and that's all he knew. You know, like you were saying, old school. They're a different generation of whatever, you know. But anyway, so I didn't want that with my son to bring it back to kind of your question. I didn't, I wanted, you know, my son to, that's the last thing I want. That's probably the biggest regret of my life in a certain way. It couldn't have been other with my father, but I really regretted that lack there. And I've always felt that lack. Uh, there's, I, you know, when my kids, I always say, I want to be like a backstop in little, little league. So if like, I'm like, you go out in the world and when you turn around, I'm going to be here, but you go out there. And, you know, whenever I turned around when I was young, I just thought somebody poaching me or trying to stab me in the back, not there to sort of go, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's fine. It's yeah. just the way life was. And it's, it was fun. And it helped me in many ways to be, you know, resilient, whatever. It, 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 I didn't even really notice it until years later when I've begun, you know, enough therapy, but, um, and it was fun. And I, I don't, I don't mind it. Although I just don't want my kids to have that. I'm sure I'll screw them up in other ways, but you know, <laughs> yes. I wanted them to always know that like their dad's right there behind them. And so anyway, that's why I asked my son. That's that. yeah, that's, Incredible. And you say that um, you weren't really affected. You were resilient. You were obviously later on, you went, you got well, therapy being, and all I'm that being stuff. positive about it. I mean, what I'm right. But no, but I mean, and also, I, you know, it does those things. You know, you can either choose to view these things as something terrible that happened and you're a victim of this person. And they're yep. easy to blame. Yep. Or it's like, dude, this is what your life is. And there are many people have, you know, and like, okay, so it's forced you to do this and that and that and, and adjust in certain ways. And it's, you know, I'm all good with that. Right. You know, I, I think. But what about validation? Did you ever feel like uh, you needed validation because you didn't get it from valid- your father? He validated. My dad loved me and he was, was proud of me. You know, he used to stop people on the street. And I, I had people stop me on the street when I was much younger and go, I met your dad. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> goes, yeah. I was crossing the street at a red, waiting at a red light. And he said, he just said, hey, do you know Andrew McCarthy? He's that's my son. And so like my dad used to sort of weird, you know, if, he, if they were the right demo, he would stop them, you know, and which I found very sad in a certain way. Um, <laughs> yeah. I did. That broke my heart for him. I was just, it really made me sad. I was first humiliated by it and <laughs> angered by it when I was young. And then it made me very sad for him later. But I mean, I know my dad was proud of me and, you know, all that stuff, but in his way yeah, yeah you know it's it's weird because i sometimes people will ask me this question and then i'll go huh and the question is do you think your parents love you and they're so trying to be in your life a little bit more because you've had success because you have because you have maybe a little money because you have and so the d- d- did you ever have to deal with that where there's a, like your father, you say he disappeared, but then when you started having the success, he would see people in the street. He'd say, that's my son. He was all this. Did you think, okay, but what if I wasn't successful? Did, did that ever haunt you? Like, is he doing it because he really? Well, I think success, my public success, young really harmed my relationships in my family. Very much so. Um, I was not the star of the family growing up. You know what I mean? My brother, I have three brothers, two older, one younger. And my oldest brother was like smart. And, you know, that, and the other one was the jock. And I was like the sensitive kid or something. But I was not <laughs> yeah. the star of the family, you know. And when I became one in a public way at 21, 22 years old, that sort of blew up my household. 
and or my you know my parents got divorced around that time anyway so they were going through their own thing but it sort of blew up my relationships with my brother my brothers uh because they're still in their mid-20s trying to figure out who they are and suddenly their little brother is like some movie star and you, you know what i mean that was i think that was difficult for them to uh navigate and so I found the opposite with success in my family. And so it, kind of, it made me, because of my temperament, just sort of flee that and go, oh, this isn't a safe place. I'm, I'm you know, and I'm a, lo- a loner a bit anyway. So I, I kind of, the combination of, of that and with feeling slightly poached by them made me uh, just flee. You know, and I've had a lot, I had a lot of people early on ask me for money and things when I was young and family members do. And, I, and, you know, invariably you give it to them at the beginning until you realize that people, whoever you give money to hate you for it because you're basically saying, I'll do for you what I see you can't do for yourself. And people hate you for that. And so everyone who I tried to help financially resented me for it. So I stopped, you know, doing that. I, I still enable, I still do it. I'm much better at it now, but it angers me that I do it. My actual my business. So why do you do it? Um, because I don't want to feel guilty when they die. Uh huh. That doesn't add up. <laughs> you know that 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 math <laughs> that math two and two is like five. I I want to say that hey I really did everything I could and I was really a good brother or a good oh, okay. son or a good whatever. But it gets to a point where it's like can't you cut it off and still say you did that because you did that for so long? It's like, when does it end? And you, you came to a point where you cut it off with your dad. Um, I haven't had, my father doesn't need money, but like someone in my family, they do. And they, but they don't, they have always sort of, you know, been the victim. They've always sort of like, you know, I need this. I can't do this. They're married. They have, it, it doesn't make sense, but I keep helping out because I do love them. And I want them to be happy. I don't want them to be destitute. And maybe there's an ego thing. Maybe there's of course there is. maybe of course, there's sort yeah. of like, oh, yeah. if I let that happen, and then all of a sudden, oh, they can't. Afford, then all of a sudden, the town where I grew up in, oh, they're like, oh, you, your, your family, they're, you have money. Why aren't you helping them? Maybe there's that sort of like, I care about what other people think. Well, of course. But also, you know, there's therapy a sense of, for me, a, Andrew. This is story, therapy for me. Third, <laughs> so it's playing big shot too. For you know, I give you money, so I'm, you know. I'm empowered. I have power over you now. I don't want it. I really don't. I don't, I, I don't want to have that power. I just want them to be happy and do whatever they can to make ends meet and do the things that I think are simple, simple steps into doing that. Because, you know, I have friends that, you know, I know that if I didn't have a job, I would go get a job. If I didn't have money, I would go figure out how to make money. These are certain things that were ingrained in me that I always knew, and and it's easy to say now when you're doing well. But I know that, and a lot of people are like that. They're like, "Hey, I'll go, I'll work at McDonald's, I'll work at wherever, I'll." But maybe there's pride in whatever, and they don't want to do that. For sure, when my dad was wanting money, he, I always used to say, "I'd be I'd be proud of your dad if you were a bag person in the checkout, you know, at the supermarket." But you know, easy for me to say. Yeah, that's true. And it was that, that would have been the truth, but it wasn't. He wasn't being able to do that, and I get that. Yeah, I get that. I wouldn't want to be bagging in the supermarket either. Hey, you're that guy from Mannequin. What are you doing? Put my groceries. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so I get that. Um, lastly, about that because I really want to talk. There's so much to talk about, but uh, you know, I mean, this is sort of the center. This is the the kind of what I want to. I mean, the book is. 
I can't wait to read this book because I feel like I need it. I need to read this book. As you can tell when I'm telling you these stories, what didn't you tell your son? Like what things were you like, I'm not going there with you? Well, that's an interesting thing. Cause it was one day, that's one of the things I, was, I still wrangle with, with m- my kids. Cause I don't need to be their buddy or their pal. Mm-hmm. I want to be their father. And, you know, but I want to have an adult relationship with them. And since I didn't have one with my father, I don't have no real template for that, which is why one of the reasons we walked across Spain together, I thought, cause it was, such, I did it 25 years early and it was a profound thing for me. So I wanted to sort of, thought it might be helpful uh, in rewriting my son and I's um, dynamic. But um, I've totally then just forgot your question. No, it was just like the things that you uh, didn't say to your son. Oh, yeah. So one day, one day Sam said, we're about halfway through the walk. And Sam just turned to me and goes, how are you, dad? And he was asking me. You know, and I don't recall him ever asking me that before. You know, he was asking, wanting to know. And I was at that time, at that moment, in those previous 15 minutes, I'd been, you know, fretting about money, been worrying about work, been, you know, thinking stuff about my wife, thinking, you know, in a, in a worrisome, fretful mode. And I said to him, I'm good, Sammy, I'm good. And it was a real missed opportunity to sort of share who I am with my kid, particularly since I'm saying that's what I wanted to do for him to see me more, you know. But, you know, I remember when I was young, I had, it this, this never left me. My mother at times would, she'd have problems with my dad and she would be very upset. And I would come in and she would say, oh, a child should never see their mother cry. And I'm like, no, mom, tell me, you know, because I wanted to be close to my mom naturally. And she was su- suffering. So I would go into her and she would tell me stuff that, you know, it was emotionally what was happening to her at the time. But I interpreted with my young ears as sort of settled fact of that. This is what she felt when in that was just a transitory mood. But I took that and took that deep as well. This is what she believes. And there's a big difference, you know. And so, and as a young person, I wasn't able to separate those two, particularly when it's your mom doing that. So I've often, I've said, oh, I don't want to do that with my kids. And yet, how am I going to, you know, if I want him to share with me, him, himself with me, I have to do, do that too. I have to model that and or meet him there or lead him there. So I, I still find that a challenging thing at times to do. Yeah. Did you, uh, is that in the book where you didn't say it, you talk about not Yeah, that is it? in the book. Yeah, it where is. I talk about what was going on, you know, because it, it was such an odd moment too, because it caught me so off guard. And I was so in a space of, and the kids know everything, you know, they see right through everything. You know, I was such in a space of worry in, in that moment where I, I wasn't often on the trip, but in that, for whatever reason, that morning I was in a, in that space, you know, where we can get. And but to not share that with him, even when, even to just say, you know, it'll pass. It's no big deal. But I'm just really worried about money. I just, you know, because money's, not, you know, blah, blah, and talk to him about it. Like, you know, it was a missed opportunity on my part. Uh, Is that something you would talk about with anybody or not anybody, but with with yeah, you know, with any only person? You. Only, <laughs> me. <laughs> um, only well, you. Well, it is an interesting thing about how, you know, people often, and it's in writing too, you, you, people often, I read that. Edward R. Murrow, the newscaster, told a stranger on the plane next to him that he had cancer, and he'd never told any of his family at that point. You know what I mean? There's something about telling strangers things that's interesting. It's like when you write, huh. I'll often write things that my 16-year-old daughter asked me something about my past, and Sam said to her, if you want to know dad, you, you should read his books. Because I'll write things, and it's very true, if that goes to what we were just talking about, and also, you know, 
I'll be much more forthcoming on the page than I will be generally in life with people, even people I love. And I always think, and I'm not the only one, lots of people talk about how sure. that's the case. And I think that's really interesting how we do that and why we do that. And that's why they say, write what you know. Right. Yeah, I guess so. And just write the truth. Right, because you write the truth. Right. You know, I remember writing the first book. I didn't. I was writing. You know, and it was a travel memoir, but but really, it's about intimacy. And I remember writing a paragraph, going, "Oh my God, this could never be in the book." And I'm typing away, and this could never, oh, never. There's no way. I'm embarrassed. This, this is like way too revealing. Yeah. And then I finish, and I finish, and I read it, and I go, "Well, that's there's no chapter without that paragraph. That's the whole thing." And you know, because all you're trying to do is, you know. They're just feelings. You know, yeah. everybody's got them. And you're just with with writing, you're just trying to create a connection with the reader so that they're nodding their head, whether they sit alone in their bed at night and they with you and they're nodding their head and kind of go, Yeah, that's how I feel. That's how I feel. And then you've then you got something. Yeah. Have you ever <clears throat> like are you one of those I like I had never heard my dad cry until he lost his daughter, my half sister, who passed away a few years ago. And talk about shell shocked. Talk about um, and it was sort of expected throughout the years. She had the trisomy chromosomal thing going on for years. And she was, she was always in the hospital. I mean, she lived in the hospital, children's hospital. And, you know, he was dealing with this a long time. And then when she passed, I called him and I, I couldn't even understand him. It was like mm. a different human being. I've never heard that kind of cry. He was so hurt. And I just didn't know what even to do. I, I was emotional. I was... I just said, I love you. I'm, I'm here for you. Uh, uh, and it was, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. It's not something I think you want to see your father. There's some people who are like, oh, my daddy's always crying. Oh, he's everything. He watches this. He cries. I, give but him I think that's one of the greatest things we can do for our kids is show them our frailty. You know what I mean? And we don't want to do that as dads. Of course, we're strong or this or that and we got it sorted out. And, you know, but I think, you know, there's a moment on the walk when we were walking and I tripped and I fell and I almost crashed into this thing that would have really been a problem. And I felt hit hard and I normally jump up, bounce right back up if I fall because I'm so embarrassed that I just, oh, no, I'm fine, fine. You know, but I didn't bounce back up and I just fell hard. And it's a much lighter thing than what you're talking about, obviously. But the metaphor of it's the same. It's, I, I hit the ground and I stayed there and my son was shocked at this because I never, I'm pretty agile in that, you know? And so, and he helped me and I realized just let him help you, let him help you. It's important for him to see that part of me. You know what I mean? And that's one of the things I have to teach is that like, you know, like my mom now is, is not, you know, she's getting dementia and she's suffering and like, you gotta go help them. And that's, anyway and so that's part yeah. of life that's part of the cycle of what happens and so you know so yeah for you to say that's an important thing for your dad to for you to get to experience that with your dad you know what i mean that it's not just the other way it's you know it's not a, it's a two-way street which you know it takes being in wanting that too yeah you know it's weird it's like um with me he knows i have a podcast but he doesn't know what i talk about how I really open up and I'm probably, he probably would be, you know, he'd probably be pissed off sometimes if I'm, you know, talking about it, but like, I don't talk to, about him. Like I just talk about my, you know, my feelings would have, you know, life. And, um, he doesn't know that. I mean, I think he know he knows that I went to therapy and, but it's almost like he doesn't want to talk about that stuff. He doesn't go to therapy. Never would. I remember when he lost his daughter, I said, you need to go to therapy. He's like, why you think anybody knows what I'm going through? I go, yes, I do. 
I think people lose their whole families on planes. I think there people lose their daughters and their sons and their do- everything. It's it, people there. This happens to a lot of people, unfortunately. And if you talk to people and sit in a circle with some people, he's no, 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 no I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to tap into his emotions. He doesn't want to, and he never will. That's just what it is. But so I never feel like I can talk about any of that stuff because it's just, it's, there's no reason to, it would just be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. Uh, anyway, how the Mets doing? <laughs> but you know, that, <laughs> you know? that's, you know, I used to dismiss all that kind of sport <laughs> jargon, but there's a certain intimacy that comes with that. And if that's the way people can funnel it, then so be it, you know? Yeah. And it's also generational, I think, to some degree. Sure. But it's also not. There are guys that are like that, you know? I mean, and, you know. Did you ever think growing up, did you have a confidence to you? Were you popular? That all of a sudden you'd be this icon who was doing these major motion pictures, part of the Brat Pack, which to me is one of the, it's probably the coolest thing that could ever happen to someone. I'm sorry. There's only six people that could say they're part of the Brat Pack, I think, right? Sure. Yeah. I'm just saying. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you ever imagine like, I'm going to be famous one day? <laughs> no, you know, I was, no, I was not a wildly confident kid at all in any kind of way. No, I, I just, sort of, when all that happened, it was head spinning. And, you know, but you, you forget now the Brat Pack is this wonderfully iconic term with spoken with affection and reverence for this moment in pop culture <laughs> and for a certain generation you know i and other members of the brat pack are the avatar of their youth you know and so it's looked at with these rose-colored memories because it's that's the moment in life when people are just cusping life when they're 20 21 when they're you know the li- life is a blank slate to be written upon and it's get out of the way world here i come and it's just a thrilling exciting moment and i represent that and other other actors do to represent that to a certain demographic of a certain generation. But that was not the case. At the, the Brat Pack, when it came out, the term was coined in 1985 in a New York Magazine article by uh, a guy who was writing an article on Emilio Estevez and took turned off to him and didn't like him and was jealous of him, I'd say, because he was also a young journalist. And so he wrote this scathing article about all these young actors and called them the Brat Pack. It wasn't Canby, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. A guy named David Blum. Oh. Um, Vincent Kamen, he's another he was another story. But um, <laughs> anyway, so it was a really negative, pejorative thing and we fucking hated it. And it, we thought, who wants, A, who wants to be called a brat? Who wants to be in a pack? It did hugely, it adversely affected our careers because uh, we were it now, perce- yeah, you know, we were now perceived as this. You know, all you ever want in life is to be seen, right? See me, 
See who I am. That's what your whole thing is about. You're young. This is who I am. See me. And in the instant the Brad Pack label came out, it was like a sub, and we were 180, you know, it's, it turned hard. And we were members of the Brad Pack, and I was unseen for like that's, and that it's taken, you know, me decades and centuries to have that go 180 degrees to embrace it as this beautiful thing, which it is now. But we wow. forget that it wasn't at the beginning. And, um, you know, we had, I, I was like, you know, Martin Scorsese is not going to call up anybody in the Brat Pack, you know, and he never did. So, I mean, you know, but so it's been a long journey. And I know for, for me and for, I know the other people as well to sort of pivot through that to now where, you know, where it's landed for me, which is that, that it's a sort of this beautiful thing to represent that for that generation of people. But that wasn't the case. And it was largely just that notion of, I felt unseen suddenly. Here I was just starting life, just starting my career. Okay, here I come. And then bam, no, you're labeled, you're pigeonholed in this thing. And this is the, this is what you are. From one article. One, and which is amazing, you know, in our culture now with every, all the different things. Yeah. It was one article, one week in New York, and within days, the countries, because it's such a good phrase, you know, brat pack, boom. Yeah, I mean, you don't forget it. It's there, it's indelible. And, you know, and it was also a cultural shift to happening when young youth took over rebellious. Well, no, but just youth took, I mean, the movies were not about kids up to that point, really. And then they discovered in the early eighties, my God, these kids go to the movies five, six, seven times. Grownups go once, let's make movies for kids. And we were right there at the right place at the right time, you know? And so then John Hughes comes along and says, oh wait, young kids' emotions should be taken seriously. Um, and you know, cause nobody's, when you're 17, 18, you fall in love for the first time, you are the first person to ever be in love, right? And <laughs> yes. so, and that first heartbreak is the first heartbreak ever oh. and is ma the magnitude of it. And John Hughes knew that and honored that. And so kids saw that and went, that's me, you know? And that's why generation, the next generation, those, those women have shown their daughters and their daughters looking at that movie and going pretty in pink and going, the hairdos are funny, but that's me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that's why they live on in that way. And to sort of, you know, for me to come to represent that's a beautiful thing. But I always kind of, not always. But I never looked at it like that. Like, I've, no. But now I hear People you, I'm don't. like, of course. Did you? That's so interesting. It's like, yeah, you... you you didn't realize the impact it had on you guys. It sounds so cool now. And to yeah. everybody on the outside looking in, I want to be the Brat Pack. But I could I could see how it was just sort of like, fuck, I'm yeah. more than that. Yeah, or I'm other than that. Just, yes, I'm, I'm, yes. I am more than, you know, that's, yeah. And for someone like me, I was a, very much, a, you know, a solitary personal loner a bit. So to be slumped in with all these guys who I liked fine, but I didn't know them. I don't think I ever went out socially with any of them ever. You know, Really? So, so you never, you were... On these movies, on these huge movies. Well, I lived movies. in New York, and so I would just, whatever. It's, but Did you get close with anybody? Yeah, I mean, I liked them. But I mean, no. But you never no, said, No, I never hey, stayed in touch with out. any of them. No. Yeah, because I saw the article yesterday that came out, or the other day, um, about Emilio Estevez. You hadn't seen him in 30 years. Yeah, I hadn't seen any of them. I made a documentary recently about this, because I wrote a book a few years ago about my time then, my life then, and because I was like, it was a rock I'd never looked under. And so- I decided to look under it and I'm like, that's how I came to the position that I've sort of was just talking about how I've come to realize what a beautiful thing it is and what I'm blessed in that way, really, truly. And then, but I didn't feel that way. And so I thought that, okay, I had a size, that was a seismic event in my life, the Brad Pack. What was it like for everyone else? Because I know it was for them too, because we were in the same boat. We're, we're members of a club we didn't ask to join and we have, we can just look at each other and kind of go, 
Hey, dude. And we just know. And so I went back and talked to everybody. Emilio hadn't seen 30 years. Rob hadn't seen 30 years. To me, you know, any Ali Sheedy. I hadn't seen any of them. And to just get their take on it. And it was really interesting. Yeah. I, I just, do you think, um, if you look back, do you think that they were probably like, ah, uh, he's doing his own thing. He's too good for us while we're all partying and getting well, I together. Was so, they, they were into their own thing. You know what I mean? Everyone's so self-centered. No one's thinking about anybody else, <laughs> you know, but I also was, yeah. you know, I was so afraid really. Then and that always, then that manifested as a sort of aloofness when I was just afraid. You know, so yeah, and so uh, yes, it, and I was always baffled by people thinking, "Oh, you're so you're arrogant, you're aloof," and I'm like, "Really? I'm just so fucking scared here." You Isn't know, that so something? yeah. So I, I always felt sort of unseen in that regard. You know, was there any anybody that you could recall on set that you worked with, where you're like female that you were like, "Gosh, you know, I should have." stayed in touch with her or I should have asked her out or I should have, you know, I should have like, I was really attracted to this person and I just dropped the ball there. I, I, I didn't take a chance. Well, I was better at it with women than I was with just friendship because, you know, women, then you could, you know, you're thinking in your twenties, you're thinking sex. So that yeah. gives a little more motivation than friendship. So, so with that regard, you know, I sort of went for things a little more than I might have if it was just friendship involved. Did you always love acting or was it something that you were good at, you were getting roles, you were doing it? Because I know you do Broadway, right? I, I did, yeah. You did Broadway, yeah. so you obviously loved theater. I did, yeah. No, I wanted to, that's what I thought I would be was a theater actor. It never occurred to me I'd be in the movies, you know. I mean, when I was 15 years old, I was cut from the high school basketball team and I, my mother said, try out for the school play. And I'm like, I don't want to be in the, play i want to be the point guard you know so but i did and i was cast as the artful dodger and oliver and when i walked out on stage at 15 you know my life changed it was like tennessee williams the playwright has a line up talking about love he says it's as if a room that had always been half in shadow is suddenly in the light and that's how i felt the minute i walked on stage i went oh my god there i am there i wow. am and i knew it was important because i told no one you know i thought i knew it was like it's little flame flicker that it lit and if Anybody could have walked by and blown it out. You know what I mean? Like when I told, eventually told my father I wanted to be an actor and go to college for acting, he said, no son of mine's going to be a fucking thespian. You know, and, you know, so. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, dad, so maybe yeah. I was right not to bring it up earlier. But by that point, I knew what I was doing and I didn't care what anybody said and I was going to go do it. I had no idea how. I had the wonderful gift of youth, which is you don't know things are impossible. So. That's so true. Yeah. And so then, you know. It happened for me very quickly, although it doesn't feel quick at the time when you're young and stuff, but you know. You what know. is that? I was just talking about this, about ambition. And it's like, I remember being in college and like getting cast in the lead, cast in the lead roles. And you know, the, the, all the heads of the department are like, you're ready. You need to go to New York. And this, this guy, this actor, Leo Burmester, who came into town and we all gave monologues and he took me aside and said, you got it. You have what it takes. <laughs> you need to do this. It's in your heart. Blah. And all the confidence then was just I was like, I, 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 let's go. And I didn't, I remember people were like, you know, the percentage, I go, there's no percentage of actors. I, I Here's the thing. I didn't ever think for a second that I wasn't going to beat the odds. I know that what I'm doing is going to, I'm going to make it. I swear to God, I thought that. And what happens is life happens and you start to do things. And if you don't have this solid foundation, like I said, and everything's sort of needed to be validated, you're great. Eventually there comes a time where you're like, um, 
I, I felt like fear got in the way and ambition kind of took the side, took, took a step aside. I felt like I don't, I never have that ambition. Like I had that energy that just like, I'm going for it. I, I felt like that has been sort of lost. If not lost, it's, you know, there's remnants, but it's sort of, uh, it's not like it was. Do you feel like that happened with you at all? Sure. And once you experience failure, then you can't forget that. And failure goes, you go, whoa, okay. So then there's doubt. And then in that doubt creeps in fears and all those anxieties and all those kind of things, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, did you, has that happened? Like, were you confident on sets when you were acting? Were you, were you enjoying it? Were you loving being on set and acting? And, and I love being on set. I have to say, I do love being on set. I, you know, I direct a lot of TV now, and I always say that TV- Orange is the new black. Yeah, and I said, you know, directing is stressful, but acting creates anxiety. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I find yes. acting, oh, you know, so, but I love being on a set. I, you know, I sort of was most at home on a set in many ways, and I've been on sets for my, oh, since I was 18 years old, and so I understand that world. I, like, I'm never bored on a set. People talk about boring now. I, I'm never bored on a wow. set. Wow. I find it just very interesting. It, yeah, is, is it weird directing someone like someone who you probably were friends with back in the day, like James Spader in Blacklist? Uh, no, I mean, you know, James is such a wonderful and peculiar guy anyway. I mean, he's that's all, he's his own beast. But um, And I just know him so long, I have a shorthand with him, so it's nice. But no, I have every actor neuroses there is, so it's easy for me to talk to actors. Yeah. Because I just understand what they're doing. So Yeah. Do you ever get... Uh, have you ever worked with someone where you're like, I cannot stand working with this person. Yeah. I hate it. I have to get out of here. I don't want to do it. Uh, I'm not comfortable. I don't, I'm not, my craft isn't coming through because I'm thinking too much now or whatever. Well, sure. I've had on from acting and directing. You say, sure. There are people just like, oh my, you know, I'm directing somebody. I'm like, this guy's terrible. How, how much money is he making every week? You know what I mean? And sure. you have to make him look good. Yeah, and that's your job. So, you know, so yeah, of course. I mean, TV directing, that's a whole other topic, but it's ultimately not a very satisfying job. Why is that? Well, you're servicing um, someone. TV is a writer's medium, right? You know, so you're servicing someone else's vision. And so if you're going to work that hard, ultimately, it's great. Like, I always call it TV directing, like going to director gym. Like this week you're doing chest, next week you're doing arms because you're like different, shooting in different styles, different kind of. And so uh, that's all very interesting. But ultimately, unless you're doing your own thing, it's not very satisfying. And they'll just get some, you know, get someone else to do it. Once a TV show is up and running, it's just, you know, you're making the sausage and shows can happen without a director very easily. You have a good DP and you have the uh, directs you know, itself AD, a lot direct, of and the actors don't listen to you anyway. And so they're, you know, it directs itself. And, there are many examples, I mean, of people that have no idea how to direct it or directing TV shows. And, yeah. shows, and you notice, you know, you'll watch a show and you'll kind of go, yeah, that one was really good. It had its flow to it, you know, and that's the direct, you know, because TV directing, right. really what you have is transitions, you know, because every TV show is going to end up in a close up, you know, but, you know, so there are certain things you have. And if you can talk to an actor, that's helpful. But ultimately, I don't find it utterly satisfying, rewarding work. Right. I remember... Uh Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Greg Beeman worked on, on, on Smallville with me and he used to, he would shoot this one and I go, hey, are, are you going to coverage now? He goes, no, it's a one I'm like, okay. Uh, he's, why are you doing what? Don't they get mad? They're like, yeah, they want close-ups and this and that. And I'm like, but now I'm not giving them that choice. This is this is what I want to do, and it tells the story. And now they don't have an option; they're not going to cut into the close up because they can't. And I thought, and then they don't ask him back. Well, he did for some reason. (laughs) He had so much balls and cared about the show. Yeah, if you're telling the story, fuck it, I'm doing it. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, I agree. What's the uh, if you have to look back at the one one movie that you're most proud of? Oh, I know that's hard. I, I don't know. Proud. I don't know what proud means. Less than zero. Well, that was a terrible experience. I did not enjoy that at all. Um, well, I was in a bad place in my life. Everyone was. The script was a mess. That I didn't think that was a successful movie. Um, and then we had to reshoot so much of it because it was right in the middle of Nancy Reagan. Just say no era suddenly. And, you know, we had no. scenes with flushing cocaine down the toilet. And, <laughs> because the studio executives realized, oh, this movie is being made about our kids. No, we can't have the, you know, and mm. there's not a word of the book in the movie and stuff. So, you know, I, that movie particularly didn't, you know, I thought Bobby Downey was great, but he was also, you know, a little too close to home for him in that moment in time. So well, and, he wasn't that easy because he was going through all that Well, stuff. he was lovely, but he was just going through whatever he was going through. Right, he's always right. been a very sweet guy. You know? Yeah. Um, so, but no, that movie I didn't find. I, I have to say I have great affection for Weekend at Bernie's. I think somehow Weekend at Bernie's holds Jonathan up. I love Jonathan Silverman. Yeah, he's great. Johnny's a great guy. He's great. And you guys look like he's so much fun. in that movie, I remember when it came out, it was just so hilarious and so original. Yeah, no, and I just, think it's great. I think you, it's when's great. the last time you've seen it? And have you watched it with any of the, uh, with your uh, kid? Well, I can shamelessly tell you that I was in a hotel about a month ago and I flipped on the TV and I went into the bathroom as it, I turned and I heard, started hearing this voice. I'm like, what is that? And I went back in and it was me and Weekend at Bernie's and I watched like the last, it was the boat scene of Chasing Dan. So I watched like the last 20 minutes of the movie. And, and Did you alone, smile? I, oh, dude, I not only was smiling, I was sitting there reciting the lines back to the TV alone in my hotel room. And I can't remember ever watching a movie of mine like that, uh, ever. And it was so, and I thought it was absolutely hysterical. I thought it was great. I think every, I guarantee I'd put everything I have on it that every actor has set back by themselves and watched something of themselves and just had a smile or a moment. Oh yeah, but uh, you know, for decades I could never watch any of my movies ever. But I, I was so I it was either incredibly narcissistic or healthy when I was watching and laughing at myself, thinking how funny I was. Is there, <laughs> I love that. Is there is there a song from any of those? Do you hate hearing those songs when they come up? No, they're great. I mean, I hear that like OMD. Was not OMD. It was yeah, pr- yeah, yeah. Um, and that from Pretty in Pink, that song. Yeah. Right. And then the one I hear seem to hear in the supermarket or wherever all the time is the mannequin one. And Nothing's going to stop us now. They and, used it on the Skeleton Twins with uh, yeah. Kristen Wiig and everything. You don't want to hear that song? No, I mean, I just thought it was such a cheesy song, but people love it. Look you know, into you know. your eyes. And what song I heard recently, I hadn't heard in years, was the St. Elmo's Fire, you know, Man in Motion song, which is just... <laughs> 
such a, a cringe, you know, as my son would say. <laughs> I can and, feel the new. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's that's just so of a moment, you know. Some of those songs have really endured and like become part of the popular cultural yeah. canon, you know. But that one, I think, is just such like of that moment that it just brings you right back. Yeah, and there was the other one. Oh, the uh, psychedelic furs. Yeah, yeah. I love them. Oh, I that, still go yeah, see that, them. Isn't she? Yeah. No, I thought that was terrific. Actually. Yeah. yeah. They have a lot of great songs, actually. In fact, they're going to be in Florida, and I just told my uncle he has got to go see them. They're really fun in concert. They've got like six or seven songs. People they just think it's like pretty and pink and stuff, but they have more than that. Uh, you've been sober since- 2002, July 3rd, 2002. Yeah, so 20 years. Good, 30 years. Do you ever miss it? Have you ever thought about, I'm going to have a drink? I can do this. I can have one drink. Well, I certainly never think that. I mean, I think once you're, you know, a pickle, you can't ever become a cucumber again. And I see my obsessive and compulsive addictive qualities in other aspects of my life. Um, but no, you know, I mean, do I miss it? No. I mean, I have so much because of because of it. Yes, because I stopped drinking and doing drugs, my life is infinitely better. But it, actually, the it itself, having been sort of, afflicted, if you want to use that word, or blessed with alcoholism has, it is the foundation from which everything brings forward. So I'm so grateful. I'm grateful, yes, to have stopped drinking and been in recovery, but I'm grateful for it itself because it is, you know, what's that old Greek line, the crack vase lasts longest in a certain way. They, everything comes from that nugget of, you know, and it was a terrible several years and it, you know, I let it ruin my career and, you know, all sorts of things. And but, and I hurt people that I loved, but it, I look back on it and I, and I carry it every day as like that, what a blessing it is to not just recover. Yes, of course, but that it itself, that I am an uncle, it was a huge blessing. Is there, was there one, they always say when you hit rock bottom, I had a situation where I was like, this is, this is the moment where you stop. Was, was there that, or was there just kind of a progression and you're like, I, I got it just, this has got to stop. Well, I luckily didn't have, I wasn't able to function. So I couldn't pretend that it wasn't utterly consuming my entire life. So, but I did have a moment. Yeah, I had a moment when I was in a hotel. I came out to LA to do, uh, I don't even know what for to do, but I was at the Peninsula Hotel because I was in a grandiose phase of blowing money, you know. So I'd expend lots of money so people wouldn't think there was something wrong, you know what I mean? So I was yeah. in there and I remember being up all night having emptied my mini bar and I just hear, I heard a voice say, um, Andrew, you do whatever you want, I'm tired. And it freaked me out. I like literally was looking under the couch and under the, like, who just said that? And, you know, I, and, and that, and that just cut through to me. And I made a call that then, and I went and got help. So it was just sort of the, one, a moment, you know, one of the few things I've had in my life, gifts I've been able to recognize moments when they happened to me. When I first started acting in 15, when that moment we talked about, and, and that was another one where I just sort of recognized that. And I said, now, you know, the call for help can come in, in a whisper. Wow, that's incredible that you, you heard that or subconsciously you heard that or whatever it was. It, it I did hear that. And I, you know, and I, I consider myself very blessed in that I, you know, it was lifted from me. It was just lifted from me. And I, I consider, you know, some kind of grace happened to me. And I'm not a religious person in any way, but I, I do have feel some kind of, because I have proof of it in my life. There's no reason why I should at, at all. There's no reason why I shouldn't still be drink or be dead by now, certainly, if I drank the way I did. Um, you know, there's no, and so I just think grace happened in my life, whatever that means. I don't even know what that means. And it's my obligation to sort of honor that. Yeah. 
you're so open and honest, man. This is, I mean, like, I just, it's awesome. It's freaking awesome. Thank you for doing that. The, this is called Shit Talking with Andrew McCarthy. This is fast, <laughs> rapid fire. It's the end. It's my top tier patrons. They're awesome. Thanks for supporting the show. Patreon.com slash inside of you. And, and you can just rapid fire. Okay. If you feel like answering it like a little longer, feel free. You don't have to be like, uh, yes. <laughs> Kelly asks, what's your favorite scene to film on the set of St. Elmo's Fire? Bongos? Uh, bongos. 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 Which I thought, actually, when it was finished, I thought, well, I just ruined my career. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you thought? Well, it's what I said to the DP. And I said, boy, that just that was a career ender. And he said, I think that was a career maker, son. And uh, yeah, it, he was it. right. Kathy Joe, what's one of your favorite memories of working with John Hughes? He used to show up because uh, he didn't direct it. Everyone thinks he directed. He used to show up around lunchtime. He'd sashay in with a little boombox and he'd play us little snippets of music and say, what'd you think of that? What do you think? And that he was creating the soundtrack. And he was listening to what we were saying. Because that's what Hughes did. He paid yeah. he on not only on screen in real life, he honored like he, he respected kids. Uh Super Sam, what drew you to the role of the resi- on the resident? Watching your character struggle to balance with his addiction while also needing the drugs to perform his job was incredible. Uh, I just it was fun to act again. They asked me and I said, Oh, I haven't acted in ages. Let's do that. It was it'd be fun. And Ooh, I, scary? I, no, not at all. It felt like, you know, there's that, the joke about two fish swimming in the, in the ocean and one passes the other and says, ain't the water fine today? And the other says, what water? I mean, it, that's what it felt like for me. It just felt like breathing to me. Going back to it, I really enjoyed it. Jessica B., of all the TV shows you've directed, which one was your favorite and why? I loved doing Orange is New Black at the beginning because it was a very exciting time. You know, it was like we, they were inventing, uh, you know. Netflix was, they were the company that mailed you DVDs. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're making the show and like when they said it was going to be streaming, I went, okay, cool. What, what channel is that on? You know, I, no, I couldn't, under, couldn't grasp that. <laughs> yeah, and then I when know. they told me it was going to be, they were going to put them all on in one night. I remember sitting in the producer's office when I heard that. And I said, well, that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. And, you know, <laughs> I was right again. And it just changed the way, you know, we tell stories now. So I, that early on was very exciting. Uh, Nathan Jay, we kind of answered this. Is James Spader an intimidating person to work with? No, James is um, uh, delish. If you don't know what you're doing, he'll eat you alive. But uh, that's true of so many talented people. You know, they don't suffer fools. Well, I was on the set... Uh, we were laughing and one guy came up and said, well, what, uh, what were you guys like back in the day? And James just looked at him and said, we're exactly the same, only now we're more so. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know what the fuck that means. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Stone Age, last question. Did you get to keep any props from Weekend at Bernie's? Uh, one of your all-time <laughs> favorites, or have you ever kept any props? My I did when I was young. I used to keep props, a few, one thing from each show, but I don't remember anything I have from Bernie. Oh, man. This has been awesome. Uh, Walking with Sam is out. It will be out. It is out. Yeah. It is out. Yeah. May 9th, it came out. Yeah. So this is the best time, New York Times bestseller list. Yeah. Uh, You you know I care about it because I talked about it because it's so, I want to learn things and how you deal with family members. And I just think it's a beautiful journey and I can't wait to read this. Just what I've read about it and the interviews and things like that and what you've told me, uh, I just... It's it's a it's a must read. You got to do it, and also you have the uh, the Brat Pack documentary. That's yeah, that'll be uh, late fall probably. Late fall. You yeah. directed that? Yeah. Um, okay, that's late fall. So I'm definitely. You know that's going to be a success. You know everybody well, and their mother wants to watch that. Well, of a certain generation, it's. I think it has certain you know immediate appeal, and we'll see. <laughs> what else do you want to do? What else do you want to direct more? Do you want to write more? Is there, are there more books well, I'm, to come? I'm writing, I'm supposed to be writing a, a pilot for uh, 
for Sony, but you know, once the strike's over, we'll get to that. But uh, so, you know, I, yeah, I'm just, I just like to, you know, make stuff. So I just keep making stuff. What about last, this is it. What about today in today's world, when you look back and the movies and the time and the movies that were being made, the blockbusters, the, even the star Wars and all these things. When you look at the geography now of the movies that are being made, do you like what's happening? Do you think it's too much? Are there too many streaming platforms? Are there, do you get lost and like, what the hell is going on? Do you, is there uh there's just so many options. It's like this menu that it just never ends. No, I think ends. it's all kind of fantastic, you know? I mean, I, I think there's so many different rabbit holes for people to fall down. You know, when I was, the, the thing about the Brad Pack, to go back to that, there was only, it was a very unified youth culture. There was one thing. So everyone knew the Brad Pack. That's why every one of that. Now there are a million little things. So there isn't that kind of unified thing. But I think it's fantastic now, all the different stuff that's going on in different avenues and you know, the first thing I ever heard in the, when I came into show business was, oh, it's so hard now. It's so hard. You should have been here a few years ago and it was the auteurs. Oh, now it's so – and all I've ever heard is how hard it is. Always And anybody same. that says that to me, I just go, okay, thanks, Sharon. I'm not at all interested in hearing anything you have to say. <laughs> you know what I mean? Don't tell me how hard it is. It's just like it's I know always how been hard. hard. It is. No, but it's always been hard. It'll always be hard. Yes. You know, go, go do your thing and like shut up. <laughs> you like know that. what I mean? Yeah. That, that's, that's the perfect way to end. Do your thing. <laughs> And shut up. Uh, thanks, sir, for being on here. This was awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you. That was great. Uh, what can you say? Can't say much other than uh, great guest. Yeah. Great guest. Uh, I was a little nervous because he's, he, you know, he's an icon. It's like an 80s icon that I, you know, but he's done so much. You know, he's directing, he's writing books, he's he's just doing it. And I love that people are following their passion and uh, it doesn't matter what you've done. It's a matter of like what you're doing for yourself. You know what I mean? You could you could be a big star and all that stuff, but that if that's all you got, if you don't have something on the side, the passion, Ryan, you have mm-hmm. something on the side, a passion on the side of this. Yeah. No, this is it. This passion is life, of the man. Christ. This is it. No, do you Podcast have? Like, you play guitar. I you, play guitar. I'm in several sports rec leagues dodge now. Dodgeball, kick, dodgeball, kickball, soccer. Oh, you're doing it. Softball. Yeah. Those are passions. Those are fun. Yeah. They are fun. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy them. It's well, nice to should, get out. Keep doing them. Uh, big shout out to the top tier patrons. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Andrew McCarthy for coming on the podcast, brother. And uh, these are the top tier patrons, patreon.com slash inside you. These are the guys that give a lot. And I shout out their names every episode. And they get packages and YouTube lives and many more awesome things, perks inside of you. Uh, patreon.com slash inside. Here we go. Shout outs. Uh, Nancy. D? Leah. Oh, no. <laughs> I, I, Leah? <laughs> S. N- Leah K this time. What? Leah K. Leah K. It's Leah. not. It's got to be Leah S. Because I think she messaged me about that. Unless Leah S. Leah Stubbs. Unless she got married. We need you. No, she's already married. All right. Two kids. Again? Little Lisa. Mm-hmm. Remember her? Mm-hmm. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yukiko. Yukiko's still with us. Yukiko, I miss you. Jill. Jill E. Correct. Brian. H. Nico. P. Robert. B. Jason. W. Sophie. M. Raj. C. Joshua. D. Jennifer. N. Stacy. L. Jamal. F. Janelle. B. Mike. E. Eldon. Supremo. Eldan. Eldan. 99. More. Santiago. M. Mm -hmm. Hi, San Diego. 
Santiago. Chad. D. No. W. What? <laughs> What's it's, it's a D W. A w. W is correct. <laughs> Leanne. P. Can't forget Leanne P. Maya. P. Maddie. S. Correct. Belinda. N. Dave. H. E. No, H. you're right. Okay. Oh, my God, it's Dave. I love Dave. It's only Dave, isn't it? Dave's a really good guy. He's got a very subtle way of speaking, and I like him a lot. It's only Dave. Sheila. Uh, G. Brad. D. Ray. H. Ha-da-da. Tabitha. K. Tom. N. Talia. M. Betsy. D. I miss Betsy. I always say that. Angel. M. Rhiannon. C. Corey. L. No. D. F. Corey. N. Sounds like Corey. Corey. C. K. K. Corey K. Dev. Nexon. Michelle. P. Just think Canadian. For. Michelle. A. A. It's correct. Jeremy. Irons. C. Jeremy C. Bogan. <laughs> Brandy. It's a stretch. Brandy. Brandy D. Correct. Yavor. Joey. C. M. M. Eugene and Leah. Corey. L. Heather. H. Heather. Remember, I always say this actress. Heather. L. Correct. Jake. Actor. From State Farm. Jake. His father was Gary. B. Angela. B. F. Mel. C. S. Caroline. Mel C was one of the Spice Girls? Caroline. Oh. <laughs> Caroline. Um, R. R. And then just remember after R comes S, so Christine S. Caroline R, Christine S. Mm -hmm. Eric H, mm -hmm. Shane R, Andrew M, Tim L, Oracle, Amanda R, Jen B, Kevin E, Stephanie K, Jarrell, Jammin J, Leanne J, Luna R, Mike F, Stone H, Brian L, Aaron R, Kendall L, Meredith I, Kara C, Jessica B, Kyle F, Marisol P, Andrew M, Estevan G, Kaylee J, Brian A, Ashley F, Marion Louise L, Romeo the Band, Veronica Q, Frank B, Jen T, and Nikki L. Couldn't do this without you guys. Thank you so much for the support and love. I just message back everybody, by the way, who just joined Patreon. I do it uh, ho hopefully every month, and I message you guys. So there you go. That's it. Um, thanks for listening. Another great episode next week. If you thought this was great, I did. Um, from the uh, Hollywood Hills in California, I am Michael Rosenbaum. I'm Ryan Tails from Hollow, California. <laughs> <laughs> Give a wave. We love you guys. Thank you. Be good to yourself. I'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.